Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 17th episode, the Jules Bianchi episode, and I'm here after a sensational weekend of racing at the British Grand Prix. Before we unpack everything that happened in this wild race, I have to talk about Jules for a moment. I'm not just going to name the episode after him and not talk about him. Number 17 is a number that you will never see on a race car in F1 ever again. Uh, That's because on October 5th, 2014, at Suzuka in Japan, Bianchi had a horrific accident on a wet track where he he lost control um, at the same spot that a a car just did, Adrian Sutil. Um, And he he collided with the tractor crane that was recovering Sutil's Sauber. Uh, Bianchi suffered a severe head injury that had him in a coma for nine months before he eventually passed away on July 17th. 2015. Jules was the last F1 driver since Ayrton Senna to succumb to injuries sustained while racing, uh, and nobody has since. Um, Jules is probably a huge reason for that as well. Uh, his death was was very avoidable, and I think F1 knew that. Today's rules would have saved his life. Uh, the race would have never restarted with that uh, tractor crane still on the track. Um, nowadays, you know, it's it's also a feature on the present-day F1 car uh, called the Halo that I'm probably going to talk about uh, in a bit as well. Um, that also could have saved his life. Um, but the last thing that I'll say is that he was the godfather of current Ferrari driver Charles Leclerc. Uh, as he and the family were very close, Jules was best friends with Charles' older brother, Lorenzo. And that's why when Leclerc earned the Ferrari seat for 2019... It was big for the family because Jules was actually lined up for a Ferrari seat when the sport was actually considering going to a three-team or three-car-per-team championship. Uh, they obviously didn't end up going that route, so, I mean, it's a complete mystery whether Jules would have ever um, made the step up to Ferrari, but it's possible that he, it, it was said that he was going to be their third driver at Ferrari, so he would have been in consideration at some point. Um but anyway, I'm sorry to start the episode on such a sad note, especially after such a great, um, fun, entertaining weekend that we just had in Britain. Um, but, you know, this is going to be the first and only episode on Break Bias that's on a retired number. So I, ha- I had to talk about him. So rest in peace, Jules. Um, but it's time to switch lanes and talk about some Silverstone action. It's lights out and away we go. Also, before I get into the review, uh, I need to address an error I made on last episode. It was just bothering me now since I've already put it out. I talked about the prospect of seeing a first-time winner at Silverstone, and I mentioned the fact that Max Verstappen had never won there, and that would have been true if I had said British Grand Prix, but I failed to account for the 70th anniversary Grand Prix at Silverstone in 2020. Um, there were two races in Britain that year. I forgot about that, and the stat that I used in the podcast must not have counted that race for whatever reason, because it showed that the last years were Hamilton, Vettel, and Rosberg. So I apologize for that. Um, Max Verstappen has indeed won at Silverstone because he won that race. But anyway, what a weekend we had. 400,000 fans, or more than 400,000 fans, in a sold-out uh, Silverstone crowd. We had some hilarious pre-practice antics with drivers racing on these exercise ball things. I think they're called space hoppers. I mean, I've never heard of that 
that name for those things. But anyway, I just I laugh every time watching Daniel smack Lando with the ball, then get on the mic and talk about how he just immediately regretted after he did it. So funny. Daniel is just hilarious. Um, but, you know, let's get straight into qualifying. There's so much to unpack here. So it was a rainy one in Silverstone, which always opens up the opportunity for a jumbled order in the race, which usually ends up meaning that the race is going to be a little more interesting than your typical Grand Prix. So the story of Q1 was that we now have finally every driver on the grid go to Q1 this year as Nicholas Latifi went 15th fastest to stay just out of the elimination zone. There's more disappointment for Aston Martin and Quali as both their drivers were in the bottom five, joined by both Hasses oddly, because the two of them fared extremely well in Canada in the wet conditions. They just didn't have it here for whatever reason, and Alex Albon was the one who just missed out. He was not happy. Uh, he had the Williams upgrade in his car. Latifi didn't, and Latifi was the one who got into Q2, not Albon. So that might not have been the best weekend for the team to see Latifi finally out-qualify the Thai British driver and make it into Q2, but I think they'll take it at any point. In Q2, the story once again, all about Latifi, who put in a great lap, uh, just good enough for P10 before the more rain came down. So it was a perfectly timed, uh, or it's a perfect time to put in such a great lap because then everyone underneath him in the danger zone could not improve. Till the drivers in Q3 were, of course, Nicholas Latifi for the first time in his career. The Red Bulls, Ferraris, Mercedes, along with Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso, and Joe Guan Yu, who is continuing to really impress me this year. I think, obviously he's the rookie of the year because there's no other rookies, but I, like, I think I said this last podcast, I think if he were in the rookie class or compared to the rookie class of last year, he has easily been the most impressive. I think he's maybe been in... Actually, no, last year's AlphaTauri was quite solid, and Yuki Sonoda did not impress me at all. So I can't con- I can't confidently say that the AlphaTauri of 2021 is better than this year's Alfa Romeo, especially when you consider reliability, because Joe's had a ton of bad luck there. But anyway, Joe has been extremely impressive. In the race, however, luck was not on Joe's side, but let's quickly talk about the battle for pole first. Verstappen seemed to be the overwhelming favorite with the Ferraris. Um, And for the first time, the Mercedes was kind of close to the top as well. Um, On the final run of a drying track, Leclerc had a small spin that forced Verstappen to lift, uh, leading to the first ever pole for Carlos Sainz. Who, who barely improved on Max's last lap time, but that's all he needed. You know, the, the times keep getting better, right, on a drying track. So usually the last lap is always going to be the best one, and Carlos seemed to be the only one who actually put one together. I, I'm not even sure what happened to the Mercedes. The TV direction and qualifying was awful. It was all over Twitter about how they just didn't show like anyone across the line, anyone's sector times. They were just like following Carlos around the lap. Like we didn't see anyone else challenge for it. It was odd. So, and I didn't get the chance to go and actually look back to see what happened. But obviously I know Leclerc spun. I know Max had to lift, but I have no idea what happened to Alonso because he was the last one to go. The Mercedes, like George Russell was in P8. I um, don't know what happened there, but anyway, the Spaniard, was uh, he was very surprised to claim his maiden pole, saying on Team Radio that he was not expecting it at all. And I don't blame him, because to really only beat Max by that marginal gap on the on a, like an improving conditions, 
is not good. Like Max would have been on pole for sure. Leclerc probably would have put in a better time before he spun. And I'm surprised that like a Mercedes or someone like Alonso couldn't get up there like like Alonso did in Canada and beat Sainz because Sainz messed up his final lap. It's the same kind of idea, but Sainz got the pole, and you know I'm really happy for him because I think it just kind of gets that monkey off his back. Um, Lewis Hamilton ended up in P5. Perez was P4. Um, and then George Russell, who I mentioned was in P8, struggled kind of most of the qualifying, seemed to be uncharacteristically behind Lewis for most of it. So an eighth was, was definitely not where he was, where he was hoping to go. Um, let's fast forward to Sunday. Because we have a ton to go over, science, just getting right into it, <laughs> science started from pole with Max right beside him and Leclerc directly behind. Both Ferraris got off to awful starts. And it's a short run to Abbey, the first turn. Uh, Max was easily ahead going into the corner. I don't know if you can get such a good start from the second place and such a bad start from first place. Like I've never seen that big of a gap going into such a short run turn one. It was wild how easily Max took that position. But it ended up not mattering because bad starts seemed to happen all over the grid. Russell and Joe were in eighth and ninth. They didn't get the jump they wanted. Latifi zoomed right in between them. Gasly saw that opening. He was like, I'm going to follow Latifi through here, claim these two positions. But by the time he got there, the gap was pinching in on him. So Gasly decelerated hard to try to back out, but it was too late. He hit the right rear of Joe and the left rear of Russell, sending them both out of control. Joe had the worst of it by far. He was tipped upside down. He was sliding across the track on the halo and uh, then onto the gravel before his car was launched toward the fans and was caught in the catch fencing. This brought out the red flag immediately, obviously, because it was a, a horrific accident. It looked so bad. And everyone, like the TV didn't put the, didn't put the cameras on Joe for quite a while until they knew that he was okay. So whenever this happens, people are always speculating like, oh God, like, is he okay? You know, it's the same thing with Mick Schumacher in Saudi Arabia. Um, and the safety of these cars, man, it's it's crazy because we all thought Mick could have been seriously injured as well. Um, and he was just fine. And ended up being that Joe was just fine. Um, it was just such a bad looking accident. And, you know, I guess this is a perfect time to mention the halo because in F2, there was also a scary accident where um, Roy Nassani and Dennis Hauger, they got into a bit of a, a squabble and Hauger's car ended up launching right in, like right into where the like Nassani's head would have been if the halo wasn't there. He was getting the full force of the car right at his helmet. And that is just so scary to what like to know that what could have happened if the halo wasn't there. We've seen so many accidents recently with with the halo that basically you know that lives were probably saved. Grosjean in 2020, Hamilton, a tire would have fallen right in his head. Um, yeah, that's a 2021 Monza. Literally twice this weekend, uh, Leclerc and Spa 2019, or was it 20, 2018, 2019? I think it was 2018 because I think Leclerc was still in in Sauber at the time. So, oh yeah, 2019 he won the race, obviously. So yeah, 2018 Spa. So the Halo is arguably one of the best technical inventions in F1 history, in my opinion. 
you can argue all these things that you know improve the performances the performance of the car but at the end of the day the lives of the drivers matter more than anything so the halo whoever whoever designed that that has to be one of the best designs in f1 history i i'm firmly firmly stating that because wow i mean what what an invention what an absolutely amazing safety tool to have in the car because who knows where these drivers would be today whether they'd be seriously injured or not with us had the halo not been there for them so I'm so glad that Joe is okay. There were secondary accidents behind him as well. Um, they were all able to continue besides, of course, Joe and Russell, like I mentioned, and Alex Albon. He had to go to the medical center for checks, uh, but he appears to be fine. He posted on social media um, saying that he was okay. So, yeah, just certainly a testament to the safety of these cars because we've had some bad-looking ones this year, um, and all the every time the drivers have been okay. So that's that's amazing. Anyway, so the the race restarted, and I guess before I talk about the restart, I thought it was strange that, you know, Hamilton had got up to third, Verstappen up to first, a couple other uh, moves down in the back, and they reinstated the order just without the cars that retired. So Sainz back on pole, Hamilton back to fifth, um, and this time Carlos Sainz fended off uh, Max Verstappen in the turn one. He immediately just cut him off. And Sergio Perez actually got a great start. He jumped past Leclerc, um, and it looked like he might have even challenged to take the lead. Like, he was right there with Sainz and Verstappen. But unfortunately, um, the left-hander before the Wellington straight, Perez was pinched between his teammate and uh, an aggressive move by Charles Leclerc that gave Perez and Leclerc damage. Perez, unfortunately, got the worst of it. He had to pit for a nose change just a few laps later. And uh, also at the start, Hamilton, after getting such a great getaway on the first start, got a bad one this time, um, and he got passed by Lando Norris um, on the Wellington straight, so he was caught behind him for a few laps. So with Perez out of the picture and Hamilton stuck behind Norris, the battle was fully on between Verstappen and the Ferraris. On lap 10, Sainz suffered from a snap of oversteer um, that caused him to lose the lead from the charging Verstappen. It looked like Verstappen was probably going to catch him at some point, but Sainz was defending until that air happened. So that gave Verstappen the lead. And then it was Sainz and Leclerc battling behind the Dutchman. And just a few laps later, I think it was two laps later, um, Max unfortunately had a puncture from a piece of debris that also somehow damaged his floor severely. That was a whole weird thing in and of itself. Um, Verstappen had to pit and was never the same when he came back onto the track saying his car was 100% broken. So just like that, Verstappen isn't DNF'd, but he is just completely out of the race. Um, and at this point, Hamilton had overtaken Norris and was setting fastest lap after fastest lap, closing the gap to the Ferraris, which I mean had to be so nice to see from Hamilton himself, seeing that he was starting to catch up and the team seeing the times that Hamilton was able to put in. Sure, it's a track that he, you know, Hamilton kills Silverstone, but just he still has to have the car, and I think that had to be very encouraging for the team. Um, but it was it was the Ferrari's also own doing that allowed Hamilton to close the gap so fast. Leclerc is asking that he be let through past signs because he was right on his tail the whole time, 
And at this time, like the Scuderia, they seemed lost. They they gave signs a target lap time, and even though he wasn't producing what he what he needed, they they didn't invert the cars. Hamilton gained on them severely. Just the classic Ferrari. Eventually, Signs pitted on lap 20, so that was kind of their solution. It's like, okay, why don't we just pit Signs early, let Leclerc get out into the free air. And five laps later, even though Hamilton was kind of closing on Leclerc too, mind you, Leclerc had a tiny bit of damage, Leclerc pitted five laps later. So Hamilton takes the lead, and he was saying that his tires were still strong. It didn't look like he was going to try to like cover off Leclerc, Signs or anything. He was just keeping going. And his pace was incredible. It, it looked like the seven-time champion, eight-time winner at Silverstone might pick up his first win of the season. It was it was looking very promising for Lewis. And he was out front by about 18 seconds. The Ferraris, having both pitted now, sharing the same piece of track. Leclerc was not able to overcut signs, but he caught up to them very quickly. And they were given the green light to fight for position. Which, I mean, I guess you kind of have to. With signs on pole, he hasn't won a race. He's not going to like just wanting to let Leclerc through. Um, but more complaints rained down from Leclerc behind because he he was losing race time. He's like, I don't want to fight. Just, guys, I'm faster. Let me through. We're costing ourselves. Hamilton can could win this race if we don't take like if we don't take action on what we need to do. So eventually on lap 31 of 52, the Ferraris finally inverted, which actually in retrospect arguably cost Leclerc the win because, but you can't foresee that that safety car would have came out. So anyway, kind of spoiling it a little bit. Unfortunately for Lewis, when he finally came in, um, three laps after they inverted, putting on the new hard tires, um, it was a bit of a slow stop. And it would have been a too long of a stint for softs. I know some people wanted to see him go medium to soft tires. The hards looked like they had decent pace anyway. Like, seeing what Leclerc did at, at the safety car restart, I'm kind of spoiling it again, but I think softs would have been the wrong choice. Anyway, the the slow stop hurt Lewis. It just made the challenge of him catching the Ferraris even harder. Had it been two seconds quicker, you know, he's that much closer. He's, he's arguably right on the back of signs when he comes out, and that could have made for a very interesting ending. However... Esteban Ocon's Alpine had a problem right on the uh, the straight heading into Cops Corner. That brought out the safety car, completely changes the complexion of the race. And, you know, as soon as I saw the safety car, part of me was super excited for, you know, the entertainment that we'd get next. But the Hamilton fan in me was, was also a bit gutted because I, I wanted to see what he could do. I didn't think he was going to be able to catch Leclerc because once they inverted, Leclerc was kind of starting to pull away. I thought that he was going to be able to catch signs, possibly a P2, which would have been an incredible result. Um, but I, once I saw Perez was in fourth and that he was going to get a free pit stop from this safety car, I immediately thought, I'm like, Perez might win this race. Perez is going to pass, Ham, uh, pass Hamilton. I think the Red Bull is still the best car. It's the best package for a race. The, the slow speed corners of the Ferrari, I think, allow them to be very quick in qualifying. But in the race, it's their, their straight line speed advantage is just such an, an advantage to have in the race pace because even when you make errors, you know, the straight line speed is always going to be there. You can make an error in a slow speed, slow speed corner. You can't make an error in a straight. There's more to it than that too, you know, overtaking and defending with straight line speed is also a huge advantage. But anyway, 
I immediately knew. I'm like, Perez is going to be on the podium here. And he didn't win it, but anyway. And Perez was, was in a distant fourth, too, by the way. Like, he was very far behind, but, you know, the safety car brings them together, so it didn't matter. Um, however, it, it turns out that the safety car was brilliant because I think we saw the race of the year just because of what we saw after the safety car. Everyone would have loved it except for Leclerc because Ferrari opted to keep him out on the old hards while everyone behind him went in for new softs. I have no idea why they didn't bring him in. In my opinion, absolutely the wrong call. They should have double stacked. I mean, if Signs lost a bit of time, too bad for Signs. I mean, it's really it could have been a first and third instead of a first and fourth. If it was still ended up being a first and fourth with Leclerc winning and Signs in fourth, then they it ends up being the same as what it ended up being anyway, just inverted and probably with the driver who they needed to score points. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself because I was going to talk about this later. Anyway, but what we were subjected to after the safety car restart, I can't even break it down, guys. Just, it was absolute mayhem. If you haven't seen it, find a way to watch it. Find a way to watch those final 12 laps, I think of what I think what it was. It was absolutely fantastic. Five drivers, five different teams were all neck and neck fighting for the podium while Carlos Sainz quickly got past uh, his teammate on the on the older tires left everyone in the dust he took his first win in formula one i could not be happier for science pull and win on the same track both his first i i've been waiting for the signs win. it finally came so i'm so so happy for signs although i think his teammate was kind of robbed in this one i'm not gonna lie the final results ended up being Sainz P1, Checo P2, an incredible recovery from him considering he was he was at the back of the pack after the damage on lap 1. Hamilton P3 to take his 13th podium at Silverstone. That is an incredible number. Leclerc P4 again absolutely robbed when he didn't get brought in and it was seen after the as Leclerc was vocal on the radio the whole race about strategy. And Bonato went up to him right as soon as he got out of the car. And I'm, no one knows what was said, but it really looks like he was he was really saying, like, you are not to do that ever again. Like, this is not professional. Like, this is not how we want you to act as a Ferrari driver. Because Leclerc was fuming. But anyway, Alonso, it literally looked like he could have passed Leclerc. He wasn't able to, so he was P5 and Norris in P6. Both of them having quiet but brilliant races. Verstappen, P7. I mean, with the damage, very, very impressive showing still from him. He said like he was driving on ice, yet he still finishes P7. Kind of nowhere near that um, six-way fight that we saw with Norris kind of at the back of the pack. Sainz was quite a far way ahead, but it was they were, those six were way ahead of everyone else. Verstappen kind of got best of the rest there. And Schumacher, Mick Schumacher scoring his first ever points in F1. I can't even get into what happened with his race because just so much happened at the front, and I, I can't spend an hour on, on review here. So Mick almost passed Verstappen, too, on the final laps. It was very, very aggressive driving for from Max for P7 and P8. I thought that was kind of wild, but, you know, that's just how Max is. He's always going to fight for every position that that matters. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's fighting that hard for uh, for a P15, but hey, you never know. I mean, racing drivers would say that they would. So, I guess I'm actually wrong to say that. 
But anyway, he, he recovered from a P19 start, Mick Schumacher. He gets his first points. He qualified sixth in Canada. Didn't score because he got unlucky. Qualifies 19th here. You think, okay, well, it's not going to be this weekend that Mick scores his first points. But nope, he does. Obviously, chaos in the race helped him achieve that. But still, he drove a brilliant race, and he really deserved the points. And of course, when Mick finally scores his first points, behind him is his biggest fan, Sebastian Vettel, who had a front row seat to that battle between Verstappen and Schumacher. Vettel said that he was he was watching from behind, cheering Mick on, which is just melts your heart, doesn't it? <laughs> and finally, Magnussen took 10th place to make a double points for Haas, something that they haven't done in a long time. So congratulations to Haas on that. And of course, a big congratulations to Sainz and Mick Schumacher for huge milestones and Checo Perez for an incredible recovery. What a race we saw, honestly. So Max Verstappen in the championship loses ground, but still holds a substantial lead atop the driver's uh, standings with a 34-point lead to Sergio Perez. Charles Leclerc remains P3, nine points behind Checo. Sainz moves up to P4 with his win, only 11 points down on his teammate now. Russell stays at 111 points after his DNF ended his top five streak. Then down in P6, Lewis is sitting at 93 points, much closer to his teammate now after they had such a big gap after such a, a kind of a struggle to the beginning of the season for the Mercedes team. Russell continued to get the most out of the Mercedes. Lewis had off weeks. Now that now the points are they're closer, and if the the team continues to score big points. At the end of the year, that gap between the team could be could be a lot closer now. So we'll keep an eye on that. In P7, Lando Norris, uh, quite a far back from the top six, holds a 12-point lead over Bottas in P8, who was only seven points ahead of Esteban Ocon. And lastly, Alonso's P5 at the British Grand Prix has now firmly entrenched him in P10. I don't think we'll be seeing a new member of the top 10 for a while because Alonso's form has been incredible as of late, and he's finally getting some luck. In the Constructors, Red Bull still leads by 63 over Ferrari. Scuderia now lead Mercedes by 61, so the gaps are pretty large between first and second and second and third, but they're not so large for P4 because that battle is still brewing. McLaren, Alpine, and Alfa Romeo all very close, especially McLaren and Alpine, who started to get away from Alfa Romeo a little bit, but those two, McLaren and Alpine, are separated by a mere six points. That battle for P4 is going to be incredible all season long. Alfa Tauri scored no points. They're staying in P7 quite a ways off that battle from uh, those three. Um, Sonoda and Gasly had an incident together. Um, it was looks like definitely Sonoda's fault, and it kind of ruined both of their races. So that's he, he might get a slap on the wrist for that one. Haas's double points put them back ahead of Aston Martin for P8. Uh, they hold a two-point lead over Aston, while Williams still has only three points. They're in P10. Now it's time for my prize demise and surprise for the British Grand Prix. All right, so my prize, I'm not going to get um, too too crazy here, and I'm just going to say it's Carlos Sainz. But before I talk a little bit about Sainz, shout out Mercedes. Uh, they have definitely made a step forward. Um, unfortunately, George uh, had to retire early on. But I want to shout out George as well because he showed the ultimate sportsmanship. You know, when he when he got spun out by Gasly and Joe in that in that kind of squabble at the beginning, his car could have continued, but he saw what happened to Joe. He decided to stop his car and get out and go 
see if Joe was okay. So he actually sacrificed his race to check on one of his fellow competitors. That is an absolutely incredible display of sportsmanship. So shout out, George. You can't get the prize because you didn't race, but I just you deserve a shout out. Shout out Lewis as well. An incredible, incredible effort from him. Things didn't really go his way in the race. Still managed to P3. So I think Mercedes has to be very happy with what they saw this weekend. And shout out to Red Bull. I mean, they had a bit of a disaster of a weekend. Max, his car fell apart. Checo had damage, was in last um, very early on in the race, like lap three or I don't remember exactly when he pitted, but he was very far behind in very early stages of the race. So things could not have gone more wrong for Red Bull besides their cars breaking down. And yet they still come home with a P2 and a P7. I think Christian Horner said exactly that after the race, just to just to think that they had such a bad weekend and still came away with decent points. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that Leclerc only gained on Max Verstappen by six points this weekend. And Max had a completely damaged car. Leclerc could have won the race. I mean... That's a bad, bad look on Ferrari and a great look on Red Bull because that was incredible damage limitation. But anyway, the prize is Carlos Sainz because if you if you get your first win, Brake Bias is always going to acknowledge that you deserve the prize. Every single time, I'm going to give the prize to someone who gets their first win in Formula 1, not to mention their first pull. Sainz... He may not have had the pace of Leclerc, especially, I don't know how much that little damaged wing that Leclerc had was really affecting his performance, but Sainz, he didn't really have the pace, and I think Hamilton had better pace than Sainz, but he kept a cool head. He did exactly what he needed to do, and the reason why he won the race was because he told off his Ferrari team and said, guys, I don't care what you guys say, I'm going to pass Leclerc. I'm under pressure from Hamilton and Perez behind. I'm going to pass him immediately, and I'm going to drive off into the distance, and that's exactly what he did. So hats off to Sainz because he arguably saved or salvaged a terrible Ferrari day that they could have, they couldn't have been on, like they might not have even been second place. They could have been Hamilton and Perez on the top two steps had Sainz not done what he did. So Sainz gets the prize. Absolutely. He he deserved to win. He really, he really has deserved to win. Monaco, he should have won. Canada, he was so close. Had not been for Matt Verstappen just putting in an incredible performance in Canada. So Sainz finally gets that win. The monkey's off his back. Now let's see what he can do with the pressure off of him for the rest of the season. So my demise, I I thought about this one hard. And I'm going to give it to Daniel Ricciardo because with so much chaos in the Grand Prix, his teammate fighting for the podium, Daniel was nowhere to be found. He, he said he was confused uh, by the lack of grip. This was in a post-race interview to those around him. Did not understand it. It was similar to Barcelona. And I guess he also suffered from a DRS issue. I think it was from lap 31 on. But... I mean, just when I think that, like, the tension about his poor performance is getting off of him, he puts in another performance like this. The McLaren, I think, is undoubtedly a weird car, but they're just, there's, we're running out of excuses. And I've talked about Daniel a couple times on this podcast already. Everyone has to be cheering for him. I mean, 
He is the most likable guy ever. <laughs> Everyone loves Daniel. But they're just, this is a, the pinnacle of motorsport. And being a good guy doesn't keep you in Formula One, unfortunately. And you can't have performances like that. I mean, Sonoda was last on, on the track. And he had a penalty. He crashed with his teammate. He had damage at the start from uh, the, the big accident. And he was the only person that Daniel wasn't ahead of. There was no excuse. The safety car even allowed him to unlap himself, gave him another chance to make up ground. He he couldn't do anything. Latifi, Stroll, both Hasses were ahead of him while like Ricardo's teammate Norris was was close to a podium. Had they not made the mistake um, with pinning Lando uh, to fall to lose the position to Alonso, he might have been able to pass Leclerc. Who knows? Like it could have been a P four for Lando and. Daniel was absolutely nowhere near points. So, unfortunately, he gets my demise. Just a very, very bad performance from Daniel. He knows it. And, yeah, I just don't think there's an excuse for that. So, lastly, we're moving on to some my surprise. And I think everyone, everyone would agree with me here. Everyone had to be surprised by the performance of Nicholas Latifi this weekend. What a weekend. Hats off to you. It's it's a shame. I kind of mentioned it already, though. It, I feel like it happened at the worst weekend for Williams because Albon had the upgrades on his car. He didn't even get to race because he was out before he even got to the first turn. His qualifying ended prematurely. So horrible for Williams because they didn't get to see anything about what Albon's car could do. And then all of a sudden, Latifi finally gets the most out of the old car. It was so odd. I don't know if that means like they sh- maybe it would have been like you can't foresee it, but it would have been better to have Latifi to have the upgrades. But yeah, I-, I don't know if it's enough to keep his seat too. By the way, like I don't think this one performance by any means is gonna mean that he has job security in Formula One now. But if he can continue to perform like this, it certainly can't hurt. So the next step is points, Nicholas. You're the only one left, obviously, excluding Nico Hulkenberg, who we're probably not going to see again this year after his first, the first two races of the season. Um, so yeah, next step is points, Nicky. We all want to see you do it. Um, and if you can continue to perform like this, then I think you do deserve a spot in Formula 1, no question, because you raced brilliantly, you qualified brilliantly. It was a great weekend from Nicky, and I would give him an A+, honestly, what else can you do? I mean, he's still in the worst car, so you can't say, like, oh, he should have been on the podium. Like, that's just ridiculous. Even to stay P10 would have been an incredible feat in the car that he is in. So I think P12 is what he is. He technically moves above Nico Hulkenberg up to 20th in the championship now. So hopefully this is a step forward for Nicky. Now I'm going to do the championship segment, and I'm going to focus on Ferrari. Now, this championship segment's not going to be too long, but I have to just... I'm, I'm titling this, this segment, or subtitling this segment, because I guess it's called the championship segment. I'm calling it, What is Ferrari Doing? I just really want to know, like, what's in their head, what their plan is, you know? Because I'm very confused by their decisions. Ferrari, I mean, they took the most constructors' points once again in back-to-back races. Yet, some people are calling Britain another strategic disaster class. I don't remember what personality I saw on 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 F1 Twitter. They they called it the worst strategy race they've ever seen from Ferrari. 
And I think that might be a bit of an overreaction, but the fact that you could even say that after, you know, they scored the most constructors points in a race is kind of shocking, isn't it? And I feel like the whole, like, Signs not getting a win in Formula 1 may have played into this because had Signs been a race winner and he was just continually off the pace of Leclerc, like he has been most of this year, I feel like things could be different, so maybe in the future things could change. But as I mentioned, only 11 points are separating them now. And despite Leclerc being clear of signs on pace for most of the season, that, like, they're still not continuing. There's not prioritizing Leclerc. I, I'm sorry, I'm so flustered today and I'm really tired. So I've had a, I've had a bit of a shocking podcast. But anyway, um, if Ferrari wants any chance at the drivers this year, they really have to start prioritizing Leclerc. But they showed that they won't. And Leclerc lost over half the points he would have scored in this race. He scored 12. He should have scored 25 had they just pit him. But for whatever reason, they had 11 seconds too, by the way, to decide when the safety car came out whether or not to pit Leclerc. And they kept him out and put Signs in. So I really just feel like they saw the opportunity for Signs to win his first race. And they're like, we're doing that instead of making sure that their driver with more points close the gap on Max. So I really, like, they've said weird things, too, about how they never saw that they could win the championship in 2022. It's all about, like, making the next step, which is so weird because they have such a great car. And if you're in the championship, why would you not want to go for it? So maybe I'm, like, misinterpreting that or taking it out of context or something, but that was the quote. Like, literally, it was, they never saw themselves winning the championship in 2022 which is just nuts to me. I, I really just don't get what Ferrari is, what they're what they're trying to do, because I, I think they've thrown away just way too many points this season, whether it be just reliability, which is harder to control, obviously, because, you know, it's not easy to design a Formula One car. I'm not saying I could make a car and it would never break down. I mean, maybe that is true, but because it would probably never even get running in the first place. Um, so, I just think the strategy, like Monaco, everyone knows that that was that was pathetic, and I still think that was worse than what they did in Britain. But still, it just made no sense because the the potential for the double stack, like the potential points they could have scored if they double stacked, was so much higher than because they basically Leclerc had no chance. I think the defense that he had on the hards was some of the most impressive driving I've seen in a long time. Like it was. That was impressive, man. Like he did, he did, he put up a way better defense than Lewis Hamilton did in only one lap in Abu Dhabi. Max Verstappen is a different driver to go up against, mind you, but man, that it was the same thing, pretty much. Lewis's hards in Abu Dhabi were older, and Leclerc was against. Um, against it's a different car too, you know. There's different factors. It's a different racetrack, um, so it's kind of hard to just completely you know compare those two scenarios but um still the point is that the defense was incredible like going around the outside on a driver on fresh softs at cops is just mind-boggling especially with a bit of wing damage Leclerc was so 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 impressive to try to stay on that podium it was just impossible because they made a massive strategic error Leclerc should have won the race man he absolutely should have won the race. And I don't know what Ferrari is thinking. Because even though Sainz has been stronger as of late, 
everyone watching that race, I think, knows that. Or just watching all season, not even just the race. Leclerc has had the better of signs. He is the better driver this season, and he's the one they have to prioritize if they want to even challenge for this championship. They're so far behind already. They can't just continue to throw away points. They have to just pick Leclerc, but now they're 11 points away. So now are they going to say that they're too close, that they can't prioritize Leclerc? So I don't know. I just think they just keep getting themselves in an even larger pickle. And I just, I've been shocked by what, I mean, can you be shocked though with with what we've seen from Ferrari in the past? I, I don't know. So that's all I'll say about Ferrari. It just I, I don't even know what to say because I'm it's just so puzzling. I can't I can't think of any logic behind it. So yeah, that that's I'll just leave it at that. And anyway, as I do before the end of every episode now, a quick shout out to a brilliant sim racing league in RLR. This will be the last shout out for a bit as the as the league prepares to kick off season two in the brand new F1 2022 game. So yeah, I guess I'm not going to be ending the episode the same way now for for a little bit. I'll be ending it a bit differently um, because, yeah, there really isn't anything to promote with uh, RLR for for a bit now. You know, all the all the divisions are pretty full, I think, too. So, you know, if you still want to go check out old races, though, you know, you can go on YouTube or give them a follow on Twitter. Just look up Raw League Racing. Also, I did not forget that this is a double header. And that the Austrian Grand Prix is coming up this weekend. I am going to be previewing that. I'm going to be coming out with a second episode this week. Probably a bit shorter. This one's already up to 40 minutes. So it would have been really long to also include the Austria preview. So you can look forward to that on Wednesday. I'm going to come out with a little short Austria preview episode. So the 18th episode of Break Bias, I guess, is going to be a bit of a short one. But so much happened in the British Grand Prix. I just... It was going to be really hard to fit it all in one, so I'm just going to do that. I'm going to separate two episodes, give you guys even more content to listen to. Why not, right? So that will do it for the Jules Bianchi episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 18 this week to preview the Austrian Grand Prix. Red Bull has been dominant at their home track as of late. Can they keep it going? We'll find out soon enough. Goodbye.